the background is we were having discussions after all of the episodes and realized that we were making some really good points. Uh, <laughs> Connecting the, some dots that were just you and I were hearing. <laughs> yeah, so like, hey, let's uh, record some of these. So uh, at least a semi-regular feature, if not a regular feature, will be some of these analyses, depending on how good, I guess, they turn out to be. Welcome to a bonus analysis and discussion episode with the hosts of the Path Distilled podcast. In these episodes, we talk about the guests that we just had on, how it connects to the guests we've had in the past, and give our take on what you've heard. That was really cool. Um, I know, I'm serious. I'm going to go try and squat 10 pounds <laughs> later and feel like, man, <laughs> I literally cannot fathom how a human being, even one his size, how that is possible. Yeah, I don't think, uh, like I might have asked a question twice. I wasn't joking with that because every time <laughs> he mentioned the thousand pound bench press, especially, um, my brain was like, that's not possible and like kicked everything out for a second. It's so cool though, right? When he shares like, you know, that he obviously has a philosophy and he's been working on and investing in his approach and taking his incremental goals from, you know, incremental goals for years now. Cause I think sometimes, and obviously this is why we're doing the podcast, but sometimes people will look at, you know, people like him or these strong man competitions. It's just like, oh, this beast just goes out and tries to move a fire truck and they do, you know, <laughs> versus understanding that there's a lot that, he's done for many years to try and, and get his body to the place that it, it is capable of doing this. And I loved hearing that part too about, you know, that despite the, the, what sounds like, you know, really severe anxiety he experiences prior to, he has a belief in, in what he's done and, and has to have that in order to be able to do the, this crazy, scary thing he's doing. Yeah. I was impressed with his, mental stillness in the s-t-e-e-l sense (laughs) and that like it it was obvious that he was comfortable with how he's approached it obviously he's got the world record and uh, it was just impressive and just to think that he was an engineering student and an athlete and coming out of college with a degree and starting his master's program he didn't mention if he finished it but then also having the collegiate world record or whatever that I should have known the name, but uh, 52 reps of uh, 225 pounds is impressive too. So, And cool to see how he applied even, you know, his engineering background to understanding how to lift, you know, effectively um, and heavier. I don't know. I really, for me, the the coolest part, um, it was just really thinking about his motivation and his approach to goals, right? Because it sounds like he's had a really healthy balance of motivation, right? Like extrinsic motivators where he sets these, you know, incremental goals of the outcomes that he's trying to get to, but also sounds like he's got a really strong intrinsic motivation of just really wanting to do this for the joy, you know, he's passionate about doing it that, he likes challenging himself, it sounds like, and setting these goals. And I think that that's important for people to understand that, you know, having that balance is, is essential. And I'm sure that when people heard the story of his injuries, they were 
curious as to why he was still pursuing some of the things he was the weights at least that he was setting goals to do but it reminded me of some of the like um, motorsports folks that Mm -hmm. do like uh, the motorcycles and they'll crash and they'll get right back on after they heal and it's not uncommon for people that are particularly at that level um, they just have injuries heal and start again so I think there's two ways to look at it. One is like you're talking about more of the the risky sports, right? Like the sports that inherently are risky, the that's part of of the process, right? And I think number two, it's like, you know, a lot of ultra endurance athletes where they keep having to pursue new goals, new goals, new goals. And then with those newer goals, those longer endurance events. Um, you know, the body is inevitably challenged as part of that process. Sure. And my laughable contribution, or my, my laughable analogy or similar experience to that is there was so much Zoom during COVID, I have to have to sit differently. <laughs> you know, shift my weight a little. <laughs> yeah. Use that standing desk sometimes. <laughs> Now I feel you mentioned, uh, you mentioned at one point, you know, the word addiction. And I think that, that that ties into motivation is important for people to understand. There's actually four different types of extrinsic motivation. And it's important to understand that nuance because I think most people, when they think of motivation, they think extrinsic or external and think of like reward outcome. You know, I'm a goal, I'm trying to achieve a result I'm trying to get versus intrinsic, doing it because I want to, right? For whatever reason there is there. But there's really four types and only one of them that considered the most external is that, you know, doing it for a particular result or reward. The other types, um, as we go along that continuum more towards intrinsic motivation uh, are really actually quite fascinating. So that the next type is when we're driven by an internal pressure. So that would be, for example, if he was going to feel embarrassed or you know ashamed if he didn't achieve a particular goal um obviously that one is actually you know really can be really problematic um the next one um and these next two are considered autonomous meaning that um they might be external but they're actually really useful forms of motivation is um when we value what we're doing we think it's important we think it's valuable and you can certainly hear that as part of his story Um, The one that's most interesting relates to your point about him being kind of addicted. Um, And that's when what we're doing becomes who we are. So throughout his whole life, he's been a a weightlifter. He's been someone who's trying to be disciplined. He's been someone who's trying to pursue getting stronger. You could even hear that in the way he talked about his NFL career, even though it sounds like that was quite challenging and not getting that goal of going to the NFL was really challenging. It was interesting, right? That his story of his football career was more about his physical pursuits and certainly the team dynamic and those things, but it was really still about, you know, him being someone that's getting stronger and stronger and the strongest person. Um, And that form of motivation is really powerful, uh, but can also be challenging. For example, like right now when he is um, experiencing this potentially you know, career ending injury. Too often we just, 
we just assume that we're either focused on achieving a goal or we're doing something, you know, because we enjoy it or because, you know, we just, we want to do it of our own volition. And that's not really the case. So based on all those things that you just described, where would like that, some people feel like they're being moved along almost in like a river current mm -hmm. towards doing things without really knowing why they're doing it or even not mm -hmm. doing it. Um, is that kind of one of those that does that fit into that categorization you just described? It does. And but the thing the way to look at it is to get really curious about what are those underlying motives. And you could hear a bit, and we didn't really we didn't really ask him about the internal pressure one. Um, I'm sure it likely popped up at some point, right? Um, but what you see is that all those forms of motivation pop up. That's just the way that we're built. And so making sure that, you know, we are, are kind of in control of the right forms of motivation. I don't mean in control, but that's kind of part of it, right? Is we need to feel that sense of agency of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And you can hear that a little bit that he set these small incremental goals for himself. He did the things that were going to help him get there. And over time, he's become a person that does that. He sets goals. He, you know, um, he stays disciplined and, and all that. And you can hear that a little bit in his story, which again is also why this part of his career might be challenging this injury that he's experiencing. That's something that comes up in the the athletic transition or the career transition literature quite a bit is whether someone uh, is in control of the transition or not in control of the transition. Um, that's not a simple dichotomy. There's a lot of things to consider there. Um, but certainly it sounds like this injury is forcing, in a sense, a choice, you know, for him to make a choice about if he's going to stay, you know, going or not. Um, and it was interesting to hear him talk about uh, that, you know, what's going on in his mind related to that and also how he's felt about the past couple years and how that might help buffer this decision that he might make. Sure. And something else you said about goals becoming part of who they are, something along those lines. I think that's why I always tell sometimes good jokes, sometimes dumb jokes, but I, <laughs> I think that's uh, a little bit, it's always, I've always been one of the, you know, funny kids or humorous kids in, in class. And so I think I've always held on to that perhaps for, um, you know, it just felt more comfortable to be making, saying things, even if they didn't always work, you know? So I think that's something. Yeah, that, but it, it's interesting, right? Uh, that you bring that up because correct me if I'm wrong, you would call yourself a comedian, right? You wouldn't say like, I tell I'm someone who tells jokes, you would call yourself, you kind of align with the identity of a comedian. I, I don't want to be disrespectful to comedians, but yeah, that's kind of my, <laughs> my mindset. <laughs> but that's what I mean, right? So having that as underneath the surface fuels you in a different way. And sometimes it can be a good fuel and sometimes it can be a challenging fuel. Sure. So just to clarify, now that I feel like I'm compelled to put it on the record, so I still write jokes, <laughs> like stand-up jokes that eventually I intend to perform some again someday. And I used to perform stand-up, and but yes, I always have that mentality. Uh, sometimes, yeah, this isn't where we 
<laughs> intended to go, but yeah, it, uh, for sure. But yeah, it's, and it would be painful to have to give that up so I can empathize with his mm-hmm. circumstances. Right, I mean, anybody right. with an injury would be having to give something up is tough, but particularly if it's become who you are, it's really hard. Yeah, when something becomes your identity, it's great, right? Until it's a challenge. <laughs> sure. I also thought the him talking through kind of his philosophy and how, in particular, how he was really interested in and kind of like, you know, devoured the science and tried to learn all about training early on. And then as he's gotten more solidified in his philosophy, tried not to be distracted by that. I thought that was really interesting. Um, cause I, I can see two sides to that, right. It's making me think of, uh, I just recently read Adam Grant's new book, think again. And so, you know, there's, there's two sides, right. It can be good that we have a philosophy and we want to make sure that we don't get distracted or pulled away from that. It can be bad, right. Or challenging in a sense, if we don't open ourselves up to new ways of thinking or new approaches. So I, I thought that was really interesting because how he's uh he kind of viewed it as a a distraction later on as he got more solidified in his philosophy although i'm assuming going back to the nature of his sport it's important to protect yourself in a lot of ways from things that could put you in serious harm (laughs) and it also reminded me we've had at least a handful of guests who basically said that took that same approach and perhaps said it differently but um at least four or five have mentioned using the formal literature, the formal mm-hmm. way of going about things, but also ultimately either getting to the point where they could take what they needed or starting out just taking the parts that they needed. And I think that's uh, something I've been in, intrigued by talking to all these people that have accomplished great things is that, you know, some people did it almost by the book to use the air quotes and other people did it, I guess to quote, I guess we can't quote the song, but they did <laughs> the way that they wanted to do it using their own technique based on, in many cases, based on what existed, but taking the parts that was best for them. It was also interesting though, to hear him talk about, you know, the one thing he would do differently is, you know, how he compared it to other countries that really focus on the technique and have that kind of Olympic influence, right? The higher level influence versus having to do it on your own. So it's kind of interesting to hear him talk about both sides, right? On the one hand, he went, he really invested in learning things himself and trying to, to learn it, right? And then on the other hand, wishing that he had taken a little bit of a different approach or had an opportunity to take a little bit of a different approach. That's, and I think we talked about it on a different debrief and analysis episode, maybe with one of the guests, but as well, but it's the overall, it's the conundrum that happens quite often, right? Some people jump in before they're ready and that bites them in the butt. Other people wait too long to jump in and it bites them in the butt. So it's always that risk of getting the momentum. And then the risk is that you're doing it the wrong way, or in his case, wrong technique or uh, presenting a proposal that's not ready to be seen, you know, would be another example if you're submitting a manuscript or something, but yeah, this uh, this path to success is uh, wrought with uh, pitfalls, right? Lots of different things to consider. 
I'm curious, what did you think about his answer to the question about, you know, genetics versus essentially uh, mental will? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't remember having a reaction in real time other than just thinking it was interesting, but It's not underexplored necessarily, but I think that mental peace is becoming, it was just based on the interview, the impression during the interview, but he strikes me as someone that's not easily swayed, but mm. not easily displaced, better than wording, I think, than easily swayed. But like, I feel like if he, he reminds me of a friend of mine that I said never missed a workout, like if he has decided that he is doing mm -hmm. X, then X will be done, right? <laughs> and where many people, myself, you know, I'm 95% of the time going to make sure X get done, X gets done, but he feels like, um, or seems like the type that he doesn't have that 5% of the time where he's like, mm, I'll do it tomorrow type mentality, you know? Yeah, and we know, you know, that side of it is, has its own question marks, right? In terms of mental will, is that something we're born with? Is that something that we learn from our, our parents or our you know early upbringing? Or is that something that we cultivate? And I don't know, I kind of feel like in his story, you could hear elements of all three in a way. Well, obviously, you know, it sounds like somewhere, you know, in his personality, this is a part of his personality, sounds like, you know, family background, the way he grew up, you know, he talked about his parents and their influence helped that. And then just the years of doing this and investing and, you know, becoming this person sounds like influence that also. So maybe, maybe we're asking people the wrong question, whether it's one or the other. <laughs> oh, I think I answered the question wrong to begin with just then. The way you just explained it. Well, like no, uh, yes. Thing. When I asked the question, I was actually, well, that was good what we just talked about, but um, I was actually interested more in your thought about the genetics piece when it comes to the physical side. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my, I guess I'll, this will be the episode where I reveal my outlook. I don't know if I want to taint future <laughs> guests. I don't think it's, I don't think it's 0% nature. I'll just leave it at that. I think there are, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. So the approach that I've come, I don't think people, so let's say we're talking about three-year-olds or four-year-olds. I don't think people come to the table genetically identical with mm -hmm. capability. So I think there has to be different starting points. I think, but particularly if it's that age, those are going to be minuscule by the time they start the path. Mm. So even if, Timmy down there is three times more likely to do X than Tom over here, or whatever the name is. <laughs> I don't think that if they start the path at the same time, I could be completely wrong. They might, he might excel, you know, the guy over here that's three times prone, but I don't even know if that makes, now I'm rambling, but <laughs> I, I think if we line everybody up and they have some have greater potential than others, I don't think once they begin engaging that it's going to re remain, say five years from now, I think they'll be pretty equal out, equaled out if they started training roughly, you know, if they're both three or four years old when they start, by the time they're 10 or 11, they're going to look pretty similar, even if one was genetically advantaged to begin with. It's so interesting, right? Because we've had a lot of musicians on this show and certainly that's always a, an interesting, 
you know, type of performance to look at this question. Not all, all industries and types of performance are interesting, but I think, you know, typically music gets a lot of fanfare for the talent, you know, genetic side when it comes to like voice pitch and, you know, uh, things like that, right? Um, and singers, obviously, I'm thinking about. Um, but I think his sport is really interesting too, right? Because I think you could be fooled one way or the other. He was a, is a tall, skinny, skinny kid. So you could be thinking, wow, well, obviously he didn't have the genetics, right? Because he was a tall, skinny kid and he's become this huge, strong person that has set all these world records. I don't know, is that the story? I mean, there's a lot of biological, you know, things involved in lifting, right? That has maybe nothing to do with how he initially, the size he initially was at a particular age. But then I also think about the difference between biological potential and what he obviously did to invest in building his knowledge and skill to be able to do the sport or sports that he does, right? But in particular, the lifts and things. And then we were talking about the mental piece of it. And then you factor in resources, right? Like even starting out you know, with his parents having that background. I don't know, it's a really interesting story, right? Uh, well, there's, uh, I forgot the original, it was quoted in a recent journal, but I don't know who the original scholar was that came up with the idea, but it's investment theory. Mm. And it was a, an article that broke down all these different perspectives from the questions we ask of nature versus nurture and all these things in between. And investment theory proposes that you know, take 10 kids with different genetic potentials, whatever the word would be there. And if four of them were invested in, that investment is going to create changes, even environmentally. So mm -hmm. the kid that's, you know, has a drum in the house, that's an investment in some way. They start hitting the drum. Now they have more, oppor greater opportunities cultivated so now they're playing with another musician their parents might be musicians in his case their parents were weightlifters or at least worked out and so by the time they've been invested in the other kid might have actually been genetically more likely to become a success for whatever combination that would be but it doesn't matter because and they put a time limit um, it has to be young kids basically and so by the time they're have those stable characteristics those are then if i'm not misquoting it those are then deemed you know stable mm -hmm. aptitudes that look like natural ability and to many people but i would to make that similar point if we don't even have to speculate necessarily if if we took somebody at my age even but particularly a 14 year old and had um someone equivalent you know with equivalent success in powerlifting start training the kid we would only need to sure. like once that person i guess it could be anyone but once that person stopped advancing based from the training then we would know that there's not a nurture component right yeah and it's also the body is still changing for you know for a long period of time and longer for males right um it, 
throughout that time. So catch someone as their body is still growing and changing and there's maybe more impact that you could have on their quote unquote oh, sure. potential. It's interesting that what you just mentioned with investment theory um, reminds me of um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite cognitive biases, because I think this has a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way too, right? Um, if you're able to keep that kind of, I'll say, right motivation for what you're doing, right? The, the balance of extrinsic and, and more um, autonomous or intrinsic forms of motivation. Uh, one of my favorite cognitive biases is that IKEA effect that we care more about and continue to invest more in the things that ha we have already invested in, <laughs> right? It's aptly named after Ikea furniture because <laughs> even though it's not like the world's most expensive, amazing you know, furniture, you have to put it together yourself. So you might care yeah. more about it because you had to do it yourself. And you have the hexagon wrench that you need. Yeah, exactly. done one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And but one final point on the that. So let's make it a sixteen-year-old. They're training. Mm -hmm. If they work out, say their training regimen given to them is two hours a day, or just make it one hour a day. You're gonna expect certain gains to be made during that week so do we really if we're meeting the goal for that week and then the subsequent week we set a new goal and that goal is met the third week it's not met but we make a tweak and the fourth week it is mm -hmm. do we really have to consider whether or not that what level of genetic advantage that kid started with we i mean we can we might notice they're accelerating slightly faster than the next person but if that person is wanting to become a power lifter and they're advancing at the pace that's being requested or specified i don't think it really matters if that it's only when that person stops advancing that we really have to be concerned whether or not um, according to blaine there's not necessarily like he never found i guess not everybody's going to bench a thousand pounds but <laughs> I, I think you know most people aren't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily want different circumstances but i wouldn't that's not necessarily i should stop saying necessarily that's not a goal of mine is to bench a thousand pounds so it sounded like it wasn't his either which was fascinating right the way that he framed it was he he set this almost like you know kind of like personal best goals not like i'm trying to get to this but just like I want to be the strongest person. Oh, I just benched 250. Uh, next time I want to do 275. It was almost like a, like you kind of felt it was like a, let me see if I can do this nope. next one, you know, which is why I asked the question about whether it got harder later on, you know, his career. Cause I would imagine right early on, just as you're talking about, you're probably seeing a lot more improvements, like the gains are greater and the, that you can make certainly too. Right. And then, you know, Again, I don't know as much about powerlifting, but I'm assuming once you hit the the places he's at, then it's marginal gains, right? To go for to the next kind of the next uh, number, the next title. So, lots of things going through my head here, but the just this image of like somebody blowing off 600 pounds, like. Uh, I can do 620 or whatever, <laughs> but it's interesting. But the, no, I think I lost the other part. It was, uh, I was also, I guess it, this is what it was. I was also fascinated, like you were talking about, about the 
incremental improvements because I know whenever I think the most when I was working out heavily, I think 345 was about I could do like 10 reps at one time. I never really did the three lift thing. So I don't, I probably could have, that would have been a different goal. But I remember every time we went up in weights and that was only like, it wasn't, you know, more commonly it was like around 300. I maxed it out to 350 or 345 one time, I think. But the point is we would add like the smallest weight we could to see if we could do the next round. So it's just this image of like increasing from a, you know, 995 pounds. What do you add next to see if you can do? Is it a pound each or is it go ahead and add two and a half on each side? What the heck? It's fascinating, you know, how, how you even, you know, get to that level, but uh, there's some cool parts of the story of from the motivation side, the confidence side, even just his focus, right? The only time I really got a sense that he was focused on others was in college. You know, we talked about like being the strongest, which gives you like an element of being better than others. It really didn't hear him talk about, you know, have that seem to have that as a focus in any other part of his pursuit. And even that it didn't, it didn't seem like it was laden with a focus on comparison to others, like be better than others. It was more like a personal striving. Yeah. It's, it struck me as very much bettering himself, Mm -hmm. bettering his previous uh, lift. And I just now realized it was redundant earlier when I said he was mentally tough because anybody that can lift, <laughs> lift that amount of weight, that's I feel a like given, you definitely right? have to be. <laughs> yeah. So to the listeners, uh, I was late to the realization on that. But, but yeah, no, it was a fascinating conversation, fascinating person. Anything else to add to this one? I don't think so. Fascinating guy and story and fascinating to to think about and unpack a bit. For sure. Well, thanks everybody. Catch you next time. Path Stilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by the Path Distilled, all right preserved.